Hey, it's Vadim reminding you to book your free recording coaching call. Just go to DIYrecordingguys.com and you'll see a button on there to book a free call. It'll be either with me or Ben or maybe both of us and we can use that time to talk about whatever you want to talk about. Uh, We can talk about gear. We can talk about a project you have coming up. We could talk about setting up your recording space, whatever. Check that out at DIYrecordingguys.com. Also, if you listened to the last Instagram live session, Ben and I had an idea that we're going to go through with. We're very excited about this. If you are in a DIY band and you've done some DIY recording or done some DIY production, we want to feature some of your music on the podcast. We're thinking about having a new segment where we play something like a 45 or 60 second clip of a song and then talk about it. If you'd like to participate, just email me, Vadim, that's V-A-D-I-M, at DIYrecordingguys.com, and point me to your song, so include a link or something like that, and if there's like a specific 60-second clip you'd like featured, let me know. Also, just write up a little paragraph, maybe the story of the DIY production, so I don't know, the story behind it, how you went about it, what gear you use, whatever you want to include there. And one thing you learned. So again, include a link to a song. Include a quick little write-up on the story of the DIY production and one thing you learned. And we may play your song on an episode. This week's episode is about the different roles in a recording or producing process. And think of this as not necessarily being different roles, meaning different people, Think of this as different hats that any number of people can wear during a recording project. Uh, We get into a couple of different things. First, we talk a little bit about Ben's long-term project that he just finished, which has some interesting challenges to it. Uh, Then we get into the roles discussion. We talk about why different roles are important to consider, even in a DIY recording situation. We, We get into the different roles, what the different roles are in the recording process. And when we talk about how to use this concept of roles to maximize your efficiency and your product, uh, we hear Ben's story about uh, his experience in a big studio in Nashville and what all (laughs) some specific roles that that he ran into there. And then we finish up with a quick little tribute talking about Eddie Van Halen, who unfortunately passed away uh, last week. Enjoy. You are listening to the DIY Recording Guys podcast, your one-stop information source for DIY music production, with your hosts, Fadim Karaz and Benjamin Hall. All right, welcome to another episode of the DIY Recording Guys podcast. I'm Vadim from Calm Frog Recording. And I'm Ben Hall from DreamWild Studio. What's new, my man? Not too much, man. During the fall. People listening to this don't know that, that we just recorded. This is our second episode recording back to back. So we're a little short on banter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, man, just enjoying life. Um, I just finally finished up mixing and mastering uh, my band, The Fading Lights, first full length release. And it's the first time I've done a full length album. Mm, so wow. really... Really happy to get that done. You took a listen to the tracks. You said you gave me your stamp of approval, so I feel a lot better about it. 
Yeah, they sound good, man. And then, and it's a really challenging project. I think maybe some listeners can relate to this. So I actually, maybe you can say a, a few words about it, but you were telling me that the issue you were having is that the songs were recorded over such a long time span that it was kind of challenging to maintain consistency between the performances and between the mixes. So maybe say a few things about that. Yeah, sure. Like on probably three different levels. Because my idea behind this was uh, my friend Josh, who had written and recorded like all of these songs over, first of all, he wrote them over a period of 14 years. So <laughs> wow. we've got a, long, a, a large range of, you know, just years of songwriting in, in the mix here. And uh, he had performed them live a couple of times with the old iteration iteration of this band. But he approached me and said, you know, like, I've been working on these songs for a long time. I finally want to put it out into the real world. And so as I started working on them, um, they started to take on a life of their own. And then we started getting a lot more serious about it because he was happy with how good they were sounding. So the initial tracks that he sent me, he recorded back in 2018. And through both of our learning processes and him from learning how to record better and me through learning how to mix better, um, the tracks I was getting in 2020 for the final songs were just higher quality. Mm. And also me, what I wanted to do from a mixing perspective is I wanted to set up templates for everything and just kind of slot the songs in as we, you know, worked on them because I knew it was going to take a while to get everything done. But even, but that wound up not working because the tones of the guitars changed so much over the years and even the gain staging of how he was recording them because at the beginning I was getting stuff that wasn't as loud and then towards the end I was getting things that were more consistent and, you know, like kind of volume maximized. So mm -hmm. even my levels and my templates didn't work anymore. And uh, so really I had to start from scratch on, on every single song. And I, I guess the, <sighs> the last way it was tricky too is that the instrumentation in every single song is different. Like there are some songs that are really driving and heavy and other ones that are very kind of ambient and have strings and keys in them. So it was just trying to bring them all together and make them sound like the same album was probably the most challenging thing of it. So I'm happy yes. it turned out well. And yeah. Yeah, that's definitely a, a huge challenge. And I um I can definitely relate to to what you're saying there with you know, getting tracks that are gain staging is different and the volumes are different. You did a really nice job with it. And I think, you know, we're, we talked about doing another episode on different mastering options. This is one aspect of what a mastering engineer does that is helpful. When you're working on something like a full length album, that's, you know, 10 songs, 11 songs, 12 songs long, you start to, that that project takes a long time and you start to lose perspective it's only natural and so getting somebody with a fresh set of ears to kind of balance those things out and make them sound a little more cohesive can be valuable in and of itself um but yeah you did a great job with it as i as i mentioned i kind of listened critically through a couple different things i was listening for like loudness and stereo width how they sounded in mono the EQ and yeah, I mean, they, they really sounded fairly cohesive. Like if you told me these were recorded over the course of, you know, two weeks, I, I wouldn't have reason to doubt it. So 
Good work, my man. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, but that's not what we're talking about today. No, that's <laughs> so, not at all what we're talking about. <laughs> so let's segue into what we're actually talking about today, which uh, is going to be a kind of fun thing. And this is maybe less technical and more not theory or anything like that, but we're going to talk more about the social interactions in a recording studio and specifically the different roles or hats that either you or different people can wear uh, during the recording process. So we touched on this a little bit back, way back in episode six, and that was how to uh, maximize the efficiency of your recording sessions. And in that, we talked a little bit about the different processes in, in, in the recording process. So like songwriting and arranging and pre-production, all, all those things. But now we're going to talk about uh, all the different people that are involved in the actual recording process. And maybe we could talk about how this has changed over the years and how this is different for big big budget projects versus small home studio or bands producing their own songs type of projects. So I'm excited to dive in. How about you? Yeah, for sure. And as we go through these roles, th this is a helpful exercise because in most situations that you're going to be working in, you are listeners, you're going to be wearing most, if not all of these hats, but it can still be helpful to think about these different roles so you can consciously and mindfully make the decision of like, I'm taking off this hat now and I'm putting on this hat now. And you can kind of change your own perspective just with that little thought exercise, which can be a really powerful technique. And the cool thing about this too is I think a lot of these roles can be, like you said, very fluid. So I'm curious as to what your definitions on some of these roles are because they might differ a little bit from me. We might not even agree on roles. So let's, let's see <laughs> yeah. what we... <laughs> exactly. All right. So let, let's jump into it here. And... In no specific order, I've kind of found or identified six different roles. There's probably more than this, but there's like six different roles that you'll see in the recording studio and or in the recording process. So let's start with the first. And I've even divided this up into three different subcategories, but the first is the artist. And this can be either one or a combination of all of these. Uh, the artist can be a singer, songwriter, Especially if you are a singer-songwriter, you know, you're just playing acoustic guitar and singing. You are the songwriter and you're also the performer and you're also the singer. Although the songwriter doesn't necessarily have to even be with the band or performing in the studio. So you might have somebody uh, or somebody wrote a song and you're either doing a cover of that or they sold the rights to whatever band or artist and they picked it up and they're performing it in the studio. Uh, the second one so is, is your number one. Are you are you saying artist and songwriter are kind of are you using those interchangeably or not necessarily? Uh, I'm saying that the the artist is the overarching thing, and then this is subcategories of artist, and this is all kind of fluid. Don't don't take this literally. This is just kind of my way of subdividing it in my brain, and you can. Oh, that's good. Either... I'm trying to keep my list aligned with yours, but yeah, okay, okay. So I got you. So you're saying sub categories of artists is kind of, of artists. you're thinking about it. Okay. Yeah. And that's one way to think about it, the singer-songwriter aspect. Um, but this can also be another iteration of artist is the band. And I think this is what me and you are most familiar with, at least from me growing up and playing, is, mm. okay, I play in a band and all of us together are collectively the artist. And we write the songs together and we perform them together. 
which is cool, the way I like to do things. Um, but even in the band situation, you can have people that, other people that help ghostwrite or write with the band. So songwriter, the point I'm trying to get across is the songwriter isn't necessarily somebody in the room at, at that moment, but it could be. Yeah, I mean, I actually had it as, as two separate things, and, and I think you're right. So the consideration there is when you're wearing your artist hat, your artists, you as an artist or you as a band, you're kind of a brand, right? You have mm-hmm. a certain whatever, aesthetic, sound, vibe, look, logo, right? That's the artist. And yes, the next thing I had was songwriter, which is the person writing the songs, which as we know in like pop music, tons of songs are ghostwritten for famous artists, right? So like they're totally, I totally agree. They're two completely separate things, two completely separate roles. So the last subcategory I have is studio musicians. And so these would be the people, this is way more popular in the country music industry. Uh, Cause I remember uh, meeting up with Billy Decker down in Nashville. And he said that the studio he works out of now used to be more of a commercial facility where they would have paid studio musicians work all day long. And their role was an artist would come in with the chord chart, hand it out to all the musicians and they would hopefully get a full song done within three passes. And he said, "Wow, normally they'd like to get it done in two. If it took more than two to get the final take, they'd start getting really pissy. (laughs) <laughs> the the artist or the the artist would or the musicians would the performers no the the studio itself because time is money oh, so they're trying wow. to pump people through as fast as possible Jeez. so that's a different i mean that's a completely different world than i'm used to but so the studio musicians are the people that have i would call them maybe people either having nothing to do with the band or uh or they're only recording in the studio. They're not touring, um, and their 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 role is to just get the best recorded parts possible for the artist. Right. So yeah, my uh, just to to match what you're saying, my third role or my third hat you can wear is performer, which certainly mm. could be a studio musician. And I like what you said at the end there, which is that. Your goal as the performer is to get kind of the, the best takes possible. Uh, and again, I know a lot of you you people listening at home are like, yeah, so far I'm all of these. And that's certainly the case for us a lot of times, and that's fine. But again, that's a different hat to wear. So here we're saying you have a song. In your example, people are given the chord charts, and they're just wearing their performer hat. Like, here's my chord charts. Here's what I'm playing. And my job is to get as good performance as possible. That's my performer hat. Yeah. And I just thought of this and I'd be remiss if I didn't mention it on this podcast here, but this, this comes into play a lot whenever you're trying to get the best possible product from the people you have involved in your project. So like we said before, sometimes the, the songwriters are different than the performers. And why not just focus on the role that you're you're best at like instead of focusing on oh man like and I even struggle with this too as an artist sometimes I want to do too much or I want to be involved in every step of the process it's like a little too controlling but if you can just step back and say okay I know that Larry over here is a fantastic songwriter 
why don't you just give him the freedom and allow him to just write all the songs? But I know that I'm a really good player and I'll just focus on performing and honing in on those parts. Now, like we said at the very beginning, these roles can be a lot more fluid than I'm just putting out there, but I'm just trying to give you guys some ideas. Instead of feeling like you have to do everything, focus in and, and uh, really hone in on those things that you're you're really specialized in and work and use that to make your guy like your guy's situation, whatever the team looks like, uh, better than you are as your individual parts. Yeah. So that's I think that's probably, you know, jumping to the end, I guess, a little bit. But yeah, so how do you how do you use this concept of roles? I like what you said that one way is to play to your strengths and let other people play to their strengths. Yeah. Another way, even if you're like, well, I'm alone and I'm just writing songs by myself it can still be incredibly helpful to ask yourself when you go into the studio or when you sit down in front of your computer or your instrument, what hat am I wearing right now? Okay, And if you're wearing your performer hat, then focus on that. Don't focus on being the artist. Don't focus on these other things and kind of yeah. segment and tell yourself which hat you're wearing because it's going to help you get the best out of that part of your, uh, your job. Dang, that's a really good point too. Uh, yeah, especially for me, I had to learn this early on when I was starting to record my own stuff in that when I'm in songwriting mode, not to worry or or, or fixate too much on getting perfect tones, but just to get the ideas down. And then when, totally, I can, yeah. when I switch over to performer mode, that's when you can kind of focus more on, you already have the song, the parts, just make them sound better. <laughs> exactly. And even like, I, I know for my own music, sometimes I'll, I'll like to write with an unplugged electric guitar even because I really just want to focus on like the interaction of the chords and the notes. And then I get into a point where I'm, <laughs> yeah, we're jumping ahead here, but then I'm picking tones. And then once I've picked tones, it's like now I'm the performer and I'm not going to worry about tones anymore. I'm just going to worry about getting the performance right because I've already worried about tones. I've already done that part. So yeah, segmentation can be very powerful. I love it. Um, I'm ready to move on to the second role. Is that all, all you had to say about it? I'm Arch? already on the fourth role, but yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. The second role I have here, and obviously we're not going to line up perfectly, but you know, we'll jump around a little bit here. Um, the second role I have is producer. So. The way I would define producer, and this isn't any lexicon definition, but this is this is what I'd say. Uh, this is someone assigned with the responsibility of being an outside ear to the recording process that can offer suggestions to, to sweeten a song and make it sound better. Um, this role can be small. So, for example, adding background elements or effects. Or this can be a larger role like full arrangement changes, song flow adjustments, or even recording certain parts um, to go into the song. And for those larger roles, think of like the big time producers like Rick Rubin or Howard Benson or Pharrell Williams. Like those big time producers are, especially Howard Benson, he's the kind of guy that will take your song and rip it down to its individual core elements and then just rearrange everything to make something he thinks will sound good on the radio. Yeah, this is definitely the stickiest one. Producer is my next one as well. Um, I think my off-the-cuff definition is that the producer is responsible for the big picture vision of how That's a good way of putting it the too. song ends up. Now, traditionally, labels brought in producers 
and literally they, they were responsible for the last thing you said, which was like, how do we make a product that's going to work well uh, for our target demographic? And they were kind of responsible for that. Today, producer can mean any number of things. When you see like a produced by credit, that could mean it was the person who came up with the background vocal part, or it could be really the person who mixed it. It can be any number of things, but yeah, I would broadly just say what I what I started with, which is is the person responsible for the final product vision. Well said. The next role I want to talk about is I think most confused with producer, and this is the engineer. Um, and what I would say about the engineer that's different from the producer is the the engineer is kind of the director of the recording process. So this is the person you typically will see or imagine in your brain, this is the person behind the recording console. They're kind of sitting at the helm of the ship, which is your recording studio experience. And this person has the technical knowledge of recording and the technical knowledge of the studio gear available to him and you you as the artist or band and will help you navigate the studio efficiently and effectively. Yeah, I like that. Uh, to me, I, I think about it also kind of like the difference between, let's say you have the songwriter and the performer. So I'm the songwriter, I wrote out the song, I give it to the performer, and then the performer performs what I've kind of written out. To me, that's kind of the similar role between the producer and the engineer. So the producer may say, I want these vocals to sound like they're recorded in a in a bathtub full of popcorn. <laughs> and the engineer has to use the technical know-how to say, all right, for that, I'm going to have to get some popcorn and I'm going to use this type of microphone and I'm going to use this type of preamp. So they're responsible for kind of making the producer's vision work technically from a technical standpoint. Yeah. I also think another way of thinking about this, and you you just summarized it really well, but this can also be um, thought of as... An engineer is somebody who can't see the forest for the trees, but the producer is somebody who only sees a forest and doesn't care about the trees. <laughs> yes. Yes. I love it. That's a great way of putting it. So another reason why I think that this can be kind of confused, the, the roles of engineer and producer, is because oftentimes the biggest engineers in the game are also producers. So they're wearing both hats, and a lot of times when bands hire them, they're hiring them not only as a recording engineer, but also as their producer. And so I think that's where yeah. a lot of the the confusion comes in there. I, I think, so like we talked about at the beginning, let's compare this to maybe the old days versus the, the new recording school and smaller budget projects. I think in, in the old... Uh, music industry oftentimes these would be two different people and nowadays it's it's rarely two different people it's normally the same person yeah i agree more often that yeah you're right it's less and less common now more often you will have either the producer acting as the engineer or maybe some producers will have like an assistant or somebody that they like to work with uh, from a technical standpoint but yeah totally i mean but budgets aren't what they used to be also gear is better also we have more access to plugins and things. So, yeah. Yeah. And we could touch on like assistant engineers a little bit too. And that's basically somebody who's helping the engineer um, just basically set up the recording space and assisting with maybe running cables or setting up microphones, making coffee. 
Yeah, th- that that too. Making <laughs> coffee. Um, this could also be doing some more simple editing things like uh, time aligning tracks or a- other kind of recording engineering things. Did you want to mention anything else about that? No, that's good. Okay, cool. Uh, I also saw in your notes too, you had uh, runners, which could also be as they could fall under that category of assistant engineers. But if you're thinking of doing this in a DIY situation, the runner is the bass player. Uh, you want to give this to your bass player so they don't waste their life on social media and video games while you're busy, while the rest of the band is busy working in the studio. <laughs> your words, not mine. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. This is also a great idea, too, to like apply to like a little home studio. If somebody's free and not tied up in recording, have them go and get food for everybody else. It's super great idea to make the recording process a lot more efficient on your end. You're going to want pizza sooner or later. Yep. You're going to get to a point where you're starting to feel good and then you're starting to feel hungry immediately after that. So, yeah. Exactly. My next role here was uh, is, is manager, actually. And so if you think about this is from a kind of an artist standpoint, but the manager, if you're wearing your manager hat, then you're thinking about like, for example, what content can I make while we're doing this session? Can I do something to help the brand down the road? Can I keep notes of who is wrote which part or who played which part or what instruments were used um, and so on? Yeah, that's super important. Uh, that was kind of my next role as well, although I had the A&R representative. I have a really funny story about this too because I actually ran into an A&R rep one time when I was in the studio. Cause I, I don't think that these jobs exist anymore. (laughs) (laughs) So I was recording, uh, I was recording a song with Lacey Sturm down in Nashville as part of a compilation album. And because it was part of a compilation album, there was a big label that was funding all the artists to do this. And so they had, the band in the studio, along with a recording engineer and a separate producer, who was also kind wow. of yeah. This is the I mean, this is the real deal. This is the, the most deal, like yeah. yeah, the most people I've ever seen wearing different hats in a studio. So it kind of like brought everything together to me because I, I had no idea that there were different people that ran these roles before. So um, the producer was basically watching everybody record and just kind of giving some ideas like to the drummer don't play so many tom fills you you don't have to play so many fills <laughs> <laughs> and to me to me as the bass player it was like do you really need that chorus pedal on all the time just just yeah. plug your di in and pl- and and play that part yeah it was so funny cuz i brought all of these effects pedals down with me i'm like oh i'm going to make this song sound awesome and he was a really good producer in the sense that he didn't belittle me for trying to be creative. <laughs> I would just try these things that obviously were not good ideas. And then he'd just give me this look of, maybe try recording without that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so, amazing. Yeah. So I love that. Yeah, because um, some producers can be real a-holes. But if you are either recording another project or your own band and you're wearing this hat of producer, this can be something really important to learn, like how to interact with different people and how to basically get what you want out of them and still keep everybody happy. Um, Mm. That, that wasn't my main point, but my main point was 
we're halfway through the recording day and I see this guy walk in with Starbucks coffee. He's kind of asking everybody, how's it going? How's everybody feel? Everybody comfortable? You having a great time? He's on his cell phone the whole time with a Bluetooth in his ear. And then he walks out of the room. I'll check in on you guys a little bit later. And I was new to this whole process. I had no idea what was going on. This was all kind of like a whirlwind to me. So I asked our guitar player who had been through this a little bit more. And I said, who was that Who was that guy that just walked in here? Oh, that's the A&R rep. I was like, what does he nice. do? He basically just checks up on us to make sure everybody's happy. <laughs> <laughs> wait, did, wait, did he bring coffee for everybody or he was just holding a Starbucks just coffee? Just holding a Starbucks coffee. Okay, okay. <laughs> but he probably, honestly, he probably was checking in on multiple bands throughout the day. Yeah. Um, right. So this role is basically to be the happy face between the very moody artist and the the very staunch suits in the executive Ooh, office. Staunch suits, I love it. Yes. So it's an interesting role, but I think that this role has kind of gone away nowadays and this is replaced by the manager. And the thing I like yeah. about having the thing I like about having maybe a band manager take this role versus an an A&R rep from a label is that the A&R rep is kind of keeping the peace between the label and the band, but they are owned by the label. Whereas right. the band the man, is... Yeah, yeah. The manager is the band's uh, interests at heart. Exactly. So, And you can have both of these roles, but I just thought it was interesting to mention since I had I had a run with this in the story. And that's the only that's time... He funny. never came... He didn't come back. That was the only time I saw him in the day. And he really was inconsequential to the whole process, but yeah, funny. Yeah. <laughs> Can we start a punk band called Staunch Suits? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Cool. Um, yeah, what's your next one? That was it. <laughs> okay. Um, I, I got a couple more, uh, we, we, you know, because we, we know the production process. I have, you know, the mixer, the mix engineer, Again, this is kind of like more and more the the person who's the producer and the engineer is probably doing the mixing, but not necessarily. Um, some people just do mixing and some people produce albums but still outsource the mixing. So uh, mixing a mix engineer is a hat you will have to wear when it's time to do the mix. Yeah. Same thing with mastering engineer. And again, this is where we talk about where it's like you don't want to be mixing and mastering necessarily at the same time. You want to draw a clear line. Now my mix is done. Now I'm mastering. And then you kind of go on from there. Um, And then the last role I have, which is a weak one, but it's like lawyer. (laughs) It's the person who has to worry about things like the PROs, performance rights organizations, registering your songs, and making sure everything is... uh, up to snuff and agreed upon between the the band members. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, you got uh, anything else here on roles? We already talked about how to use them. We mentioned two ways. One is to divide and conquer, play to your strengths and play to the strengths of people on your team. Also consider outsourcing if there's something you're not good at, because again, you only have two things to work with. You have time and money. You can certainly learn how to do anything, but it may take you time. And so you have to decide, you know, this is something I want to learn or is this something I want to outsource? 
So my famous example is like a harp solo. You want to outsource that because you don't want to buy <laughs> a harp and learn to play it. Um, yes. But, you know, mixing, mastering, yeah, you know, if you have an interest in it, maybe you want to take the time to actually learn those things, but they do take time to learn. The other thing is just to partition the roles in your mind. What are you working on today? Which role are you are you taking on? And then focus on being that person wearing that hat. What else you got? So one thing I love about being in a band is that it lends itself to you dividing up these rules, uh, roles to kind of uh, divide and conquer. I love that inherently about a band, but the there's also a downside with like a band set up like that too, where you're kind of relying on everybody to take a role. And what it comes down to is the individual motivation of each of the members. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not just not just with their role, but in the band itself and how much they want to make it successful. So I think a lot of times that's something that you really kind of need to, you need to weigh in your mind. If you are really good at multitasking and changing hats and are motivated more than the people around you, then I think it's worth <laughs> kind of being like the the head honcho that's kind of controlling the ship because then you're not going to be let down or disappointed by other people in a band but at the same time if you're not necessarily good at kind of multitasking all these roles or you don't have as much motivation or maybe you're just a really great songwriter or you're a really great front man but you can't play an instrument worth crap and you hate social media that's whenever it's that's whenever it's nice to kind of divide up these roles so yes you know i i would just say that I would love it if a band could work in every situation, but I know that that can also open a can of worms. So it's something important to think about. Yeah, agreed. Maybe this is more of an opening banter, but we're, we got a little bit of time. So I'm going to ask you, we're recording this the week that Eddie Van Halen passed away, which is very sad. He had uh, been fighting cancer for, for some time. Van Halen is a band that famously had some of these tensions, I guess, between allegedly between Eddie and the singers. You got any Van Halen stories you can tell us or any memories of Eddie Van Halen growing up and has he had any impact on you? Because the reason I'm asking this is because I have i don't see a lot of people these days because we're still kind of in quarantine yeah. mode. Here's the two reactions I got, which floored me. One guy is my neighbor who was born in 1990. And I was like, hey, did you hear Eddie Van Halen died the day it happened? And he was like, yeah, I heard, but I don't even really know what band he's he's from. So I was like, I thought he was I thought he was messing with me, but he wasn't. Yeah. And then my wife, who probably was messing with me because this is her sense of humor, <laughs> but I was like, Hey, did you hear Eddie Van Halen died? And she said, Is that the Vampire Slayer? <laughs> <laughs> oh, your wife sounds hilarious. That's awesome. Yeah. So I was like, Eddie Van Halen is one of the most influential guitarists of all time. He's had a huge impact on metal and rock and guitar playing. So anyway, I want to open it up to you as a musician. What are your what are your thoughts and memories of, of Eddie Van Halen? Well, I'll go off of what you said first. And you know your first story where your neighbor didn't know who he even was or what band he played in. Well, he knew who he was, but not what band he played in. And, I th <laughs> and as funny as that is, or sad, I think it speaks to how much he transcended even bands where people hmm. had the name recognition even though they didn't even wow. know like what band he was in. 
which is something you really can't say of most bands or musicians. So that's very cool. Okay. Way to make it a positive. Okay. Yeah. Um, Additionally, I think like the first band I ever played in, um, our guitar player, I think that was one of his, that was one of his top three favorite guitar players behind or either in front of or behind. I don't know what order it would have been, but it was between him and Jimi Hendrix and Mm. John Frusciante. Now that's probably like less of a top name for other people out there, but um, yeah, definitely Jimi Hendrix and Van Halen are at the top of like any greatest guitar player list. And personally, I think I've never really been into like Van Halen specifically. It's not necessarily my style of music, but I mean, he kind of made like the hot rod guitar player like Yes. Like, very iconic. Yes. I think, um, I, I do love Van Halen, even though I don't like that genre. And I didn't like the the Sammy Hagar iteration as much in the 80s when they had that kind of like big 80s rock sound. But the, the David Lee Roth stuff, I really do like because I heard this on NPR, actually, where they said like, you know, Eddie Van Halen and just Van Halen in general, they kind of melded pop and metal and rock in a way that was fun. And it was like, yeah, rock and roll is fun. That was, first of all, like they had so much energy and it was such a good time. But from a, from a technical standpoint, I remember just growing up, there was a couple of guitarists that I remember just being floored by. And to me, it really seemed like the guitar was just an extension of their body and they were just free to express themselves wholly, completely with the instrument. And this is beyond like shredding. Like there's a lot of players that play super fast, like Ingve, that I was never into because it was just yeah. like, it was super technical, but I didn't, it didn't seem like an extension of the person. And Eddie Van Halen is one of those guitarists for me where I was just like, man, this guy is, he is, it's his personality coming through the guitar. So that's one that's thing really cool. he's a phenomenal player. But he also, from a technical standpoint, as you were recording podcast, I mean, he really pushed the boundaries of like the distorted guitar sound. I mean, the 5150 amplifier, 5150 is the name of a Van Halen album. Like he worked with these companies to make these hot rodded high gain amplifiers and really define like what, heavy guitar sounds like he kind of pushed the boundaries a bit there yeah that's very cool very very cool i totally forgot about that yeah 5150 is that's van halen yeah absolutely crazy there's there's like a there's a handful of guitarists that kind of actually pushed the tech you know that actually like made technology do something that it kind of expand its boundaries, do something that it wasn't necessarily designed to do. And he's one of those people. So yeah, man, that's, um, it's a, a big loss for the music world. And he certainly was a, was a phenomenal player. Another interesting story was the eruption, which is like one of the most famous things, um, that they, you know, that he recorded, which is just kind of a solo noodling of him. The story behind that is that he was in the studio warming up and just like, playing that stuff and whoever it was the producer the engineer was like what is that we need to record that right now and like made him play it again and that became eruption it was just like a throwaway thing it's like one of the most iconic pieces of guitar work ever 
That was just his warm-up exercise. That's crazy. Yeah, he was just like noodling, just sitting on his amp. I think the other guitar player that's kind of like that, I mean, probably Eddie still blows him away as far as that goes of pushing the industry forward, but that kind of like just noodling and like effortlessly is Slash, very similar in, in that sense too. Yeah, Slash is very effortless. I mean, the other ones on my list are uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan. I felt um, Stevie Ray Vaughan's playing, if you if you haven't checked it out, I mean, he, he passed away a while ago, but if you check it out on YouTube, his live performances where he's just dripping sweat and a cigarette hanging out of his mouth and just the, the music that's pouring out of his, his hands is just amazing. And then uh, Dimebag Daryl for me was another huge influence. Um, again, just a guy who could just seem to the music just seemed to flow out of him so yeah there's uh definitely some some big names yeah slash is a great one too i actually gained a lot of respect for slash when i saw guns and roses a few years ago on one of these reunion tours uh he is a, a monster player yeah that's awesome i'm glad you brought that up man i'm glad that we could pay tribute to to mr eddie you know on this podcast because he does mean a lot and he seems like he was a really great guy too which is yeah. Another sad thing, but also awesome thing, because unfortunately, so many of, I mean, this, the saying goes, you don't want to meet your heroes because they'll let you down. I mean, that's <laughs> that's there for a reason, and I'm just glad that wasn't the case with him, that he actually was a good guy. Yeah, I've never, you know, I, I don't I don't know. I've never, like, watched interviews with him or, or kind of, uh, I just, just anecdotally, I mean, I've never seen a picture of him where he doesn't seem like he's just, like, genuinely having a blast. Yeah. Right. So there's just something to, uh, to be said for that. But I have also heard that he was a perfectionist. You know, he, he was a perfectionist when it came to the sound of the band and the vision of the band. And I think a lot of the friction they had with, with, with David Lee Roth and Sammy Hagar was on that front was let this is, again, I heard this on the, you know, an NPR a few days ago where they were like, those guys were showmen. They just, they wanted to like go out on stage and like take their shirts off. And Eddie was that too. But I think he also had this like perfectionist streak to him where um you know the, the band was kind of really important it's a shame those guys could never um kind of keep it together in terms of just friendly relations but uh still hey, that, made a ton of great music there's something to be said for that though like if you can get like those monster i mean it's hard for really creative people to work well together but if you can for that short amount of time magic so just appreciate yeah. it while you got it yeah Absolutely. All right, guys. Well, that's going to be it for us today. Um, this is a fun, different kind of episode, but I hope we've opened your eyes to the different roles in the studio. And, uh, you know, just keep that in the back of your mind that when you're switching roles to be really focused on what you're doing and, and the more that you can focus in and not multitask, the more efficient you're going to be. That was the whole Absolutely. point behind this. Yep. All right. So uh, we'll remind you guys, as we always do, Remember to check yourselves before you wreck yourself. Have a good one. If you're enjoying the podcast, take a minute to leave a rating wherever you like to listen to it or share it with your friends on social media. Also, Benjamin and I are working engineers and we love helping people turn ideas into finished productions. So if you're interested in working with one of us or just want to discuss a project you're working on, reach out. You can find my work at calmfrogrecording.com. 
get me on Instagram at calmfrogrecording or shoot me an email vk at calmfrogrecording.com and you can check Benjamin's workout at dreamloudstudio.com hit him up on Instagram at dreamloudstudio or by email ben at dreamloudstudio.com and finally join our Facebook group to engage with a whole group of friendly like-minded people who are interested in DIY recording just search for DIY Recording Guys on Facebook. Thank you so much for listening and for your continued support. I'll see you next week.